What joy it is to be back in my home church. Peggy and I had a wonderful time in Maine, but it is such a blessing to be back here with all of you. And I guarantee that you will know exactly where I am in the YDS curriculum based on the scripture I read and what I'm talking about in the sermon. So we're moving to the Old Testament today, which is what I began on Wednesday. And it comes from Isaiah Chapter 40, verses 18 through 26. May God bless the reading of God's word. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A workman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold, and casts for it silver chains... As a gift, one chooses mulberry wood, wood that will not rot, that seeks out a skilled artisan to set up an image that will not topple. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to live in, who brings princes to naught and makes the rulers of the earth as nothing. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, Scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows upon them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me? Or who is my equal? Says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host and numbers them, calling them all by name, because he is great in strength, mighty in power, not one is missing. The word of God for the people of God. So I want to reflect this morning on what it means to have a relationship with the unknowable, the unfathomable, something of such magnitude, something that operates outside of every way in which we human beings think of the universe. Something that's not just temporarily beyond our comprehension, like black holes and quantum physics, but something that we aren't even capable of conceiving, something that we must accept we can never understand. How does one have a relationship with that? We talk all the time about the magnitude of God the infinite nature of God. But we don't so often talk about the relationship 
that God is inviting us into. The intimate relationship, that is, that was modeled by Jesus that each one of us is invited into. That's the relationship I want to address. If we can't comprehend God, how are we supposed to grow in intimacy, in relationship with God? That's not the way we grow in our day-to-day, our earthly, our human relationships. My relationships with my wife and my friends, those relationships grow as we become more familiar with one another. We get to know one another. We figure out what we have in common and where our differences lie. We become predictable to one another in a give and take relationship that becomes beautiful. And all the while, we grow closer and closer into a trusting relationship. We become familiar with one another to the point where we grow comfortable because we rely on each other and we know that we can rely on each other. This is not the way it is with God. With God, we do not become familiar as if God is a longtime friend. God is not someone we get to know. God is not your friend. If anyone wants to talk about the hymn, what a friend we have in Jesus, or how Jesus called us friends in John 15, we can talk afterwards. I don't have time to get into that right now, but, and it's, but I'm happy to discuss it afterwards. Um, God is not your friend. Our relationship with God is one of complete vulnerability. God knows us. We do not know God. God is calling us into an intimate bond that is incomparable to any other. God is asking us not to compare him to a human relationship. God is asking us not to treat our relationship with him as one of cause and effect where we can ask for a new job or recovery from illness. And if we do it in just the right way, we'll get it. God is asking us not to treat our relationship as one where we are rewarded in prosperity for our good deeds. God is not asking us to get to know him better, understand his motives, his history, his life. God is not your friend. That's what we do in our human relationships, not in our relationship with God. God is actually asking us not to try to figure God out at all. That's the challenge. The challenge is resisting that temptation, the temptation to treat our relationship with God as if it were a human relationship. 
Don't ask God for the things you ask in your human relationships. Frankly, don't ask for God for things at all. No, God says. What we are called to do with God is trust. Trust without any earthly reason to. And by trusting, I mean letting God in, making space for God, and then listening intently to what God is saying. In human relationships, we trust each other only once we've gotten to know one another. With God, though, we don't get to know Him. We're asked to trust before being given any reason to trust. That's the profound irony. The way in which we grow in intimacy with God is to yield. To yield to God's mystery. That's the only way to grow in intimacy with God. Yielding to the unknowable and yet still trusting. We grow in intimacy by not trying to get to know God. Affirmatively not trying to get to know Him. Trusting that God will still love, God will still forgive, and God will still provide because God will never leave you. Now the great prophet Isaiah from the scripture I just read is struggling with that to the point of expressing understandable frustration. Because Isaiah is a man of faith, because he's a prophet, he knows in his heart that God loves, that God is present, that God is always inviting us into a relationship in which God will always provide. God's provision is awesome despite our constant turning away from Him, despite our ignoring Him at times, even though we sometimes love things and logic and science and reason more than God. I love science and reason too. I just don't love it more than God. Isaiah chapter 40 actually begins the second of three sections of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah spends the first section of the book describing how we turn away from God through our arrogance, our belief in our own self-sufficiency, exploitation of others, social injustice, corruption, and dishonesty, and the hypocrisy of religious ritual without deep-seated faith. But in this second section of Isaiah, he prophesies about notwithstanding our proclivities, there is great hope. He writes, God will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom. That's a great way to describe God's embrace, God's comfort, 
God's abundance. But Isaiah is unsatisfied with that, as many of us are. While Isaiah uses those words to describe God, intellectually, he can't come to grips with it. He can't get his head around it. He writes, to whom will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? This is Isaiah's beautiful, poetic frustration. He's got to know more. He's not satisfied with the inexplicable comfort and embrace. He, like many of us, aren't satisfied with the joy and the freedom of God's unbounded love and embrace. Why is that? Is it too good to be true? Why do we distrust when something is so good that it's beyond explanation? Because that's usually a very good rule to follow in life. But God is not a thing. God is not something too good to be true. So that otherwise excellent rule of life, it doesn't apply here. If you've never yielded to God, if you're waiting for some proof or some reason to trust God, you won't get there. This is one of those rare times when you need to trust first. Yield without explanation. Isaiah is speculating on what God might say, and he asks in verse 25, as if he were God, to whom then will you compare me, or who is my equal? Isaiah concludes that in response, God might say the only thing that God can, just lift up your eyes on high and see. Stop struggling to explain Stop resisting. Just turn and yield. That's Isaiah's call to us. A call to return day in and day out in the mundane repetition of our daily lives to intimate relationship with the unknowable. Stretching our lives into the unknown, as my theology professor would say. To yield to a relationship we do not because we cannot understand. One we can't describe, one we can't control, one we can't contain to words. How do we do that? How in our ever-present desire and quest and biological instinct to make sense of our existence and the world around us How do we keep turning to and yielding to the mysterious unknowable that is God? How, in a world obsessed with reducing every phenomenon to a scientific theory or a mathematical formula, do we maintain and grow our relationship with God as God is asking us to do? To be sure, a lot of people don't. 
It's just too hard. It's just too hard to justify. They can't live with the idea that there is very likely something incapable of human understanding. But that is a perspective that puts us at the center of the universe. As if we created the universe, and therefore it of course must be comprehensible for us. The renowned Richard Dawkins, a a well-known and outspoken atheist, has said, I'm against religion because it teaches us to be satisfied with not understanding the world. I think he's got it quite wrong. A life of faith asks us to accept with humility the reality of our limitations and to reflect theologically on how we maintain our faith in a world in which science and technology to a great many have been become excuses. Excuses for rejecting the rigor and the discipline and the humility required by a life of faith. There is no complacency in a life of faith, Mr. Dawkins. It's a recognition that there is something good and something vast that is beyond us that can never be contained to the limitations of our understanding. And yet, maintaining, maintaining the discipline to always seek to grow into relationship with that source of all. That is not an easy ask. What God is asking of us is that we accept that we will never, ever be an equal in this relationship. This is not a marriage. This is not a business relationship in which we exchange goods or services for something in return. This is not a friendship. Don't ask God to be your friend. This is a relationship in which God gives and gives and gives and gives to his creation. And then God forgives and forgives and forgives when we turn away. And then God invites us back in. There is no marriage or business relationship or friendship where that occurs. What's asked of us is that we not increase our knowledge of this relationship, but simply sustain communion with it in both joys and troubles. Sustain communion with it by yielding to its mysterious, beautiful, and unbounded love. Why do it? Why bother? Why buck this human desire to explain everything? I'll tell you why. It's liberating. It's not acquiescence. This intimate relationship that God is inviting each one of us into frees us from the false notion that we are in control. 
And when we're liberated from that false idea, we gain strength. We understand the human condition better. And we see our existence more clearly. Isn't that counterintuitive? When we accept that we are not strong enough to get through this life alone, we stop wasting precious time and energy trying to control what we can't control. And when we do that, we're strengthened in God's love, in this intimate relationship with the Holy Almighty. Friends, turn and yield. That's our Christian call and the relationship with God that we are offered. Amen.